Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. So today, we are going to talk about a modifier, and I guess I'm going to talk about it. But the modifier 25 seems to be getting a lot of play lately, and I notice it's coming up on some statistical CERT reports and comparative billing reports for Medicare. And then CMS and AMA just put out a statement that looks like they're trying to be a little bit more clarifying on the modifier 25. So this just came out as a a news brief uh, last week. And so we want to just kind of talk about what their thinking is. And remember, when this published guidance comes out, It also speaks to payers because they actually mention payers in this guidance and they also um, give a couple of examples or scenarios as they call them. It's still as clear as mud sometimes when I look at their scenarios and I'm going to give you a couple more because I audit on this quite a bit. But um, I just find that it's interesting that a simple modifier that's really just to differentiate between the ENM service and a procedure that was performed on the same day, um, or an ENM service and a preventative that was performed on the same day, has so much controversy. And when should it be used? When shouldn't it? And I think sometimes providers like to use the 25 modifier kind of as a security blanket, saying, "Well, I should get paid for every little thing," and, and even in a Uh, preventative medicine visit if the patient just complains of something then I get an extra visit and that isn't true so to be accurate and efficient in your claims processing we want to make sure that you understand the language understand the intent for reporting the 25 modifier and make sure that um, you're not taking any liberties or overdoing it or basically red flagging yourself for a potential Uh, audit or refund where they're going to say, no, you don't get this. The other thing to keep in mind too, is that you are going to have commercial plans. I haven't seen it yet with Medicare, but you might have some commercial plans that if you have a preventative and a, um, also a, a, a sick appointment, we call it, or the problem oriented visit and the same date, some plans do charge two copays. Now, most preventative medicine or we call well checks are supposed to really not come with a copay or deductible, but I'm starting to see some of the commercial plans do have that. So be aware of that as well, just because patients sometimes will come in making the assumption that they're coming in for their free, and I'm air quoting well check, when all of a sudden the doctor says, oh no, you complained of this, so we're going to carve out an office visit when there was nothing to address, there was no workup, it wasn't significant enough to actually report it in addition. And so this is how we have to really kind of understand um, the 25 modifier and its usage. So CPT states that a significant separately identifiable service is defined or substantiated by documentation that satisfies the relevant criteria for the respective E&M service to be reported. So it doesn't outline required documentation for that 25 modifier, but it kind of gives you indications that documentation has to be available in the patient's record to support the E&M service as what they call distinct and separately identifiable. So it says the ENM service may be prompted by the symptom or condition for which the procedure under service was provided, and such they say different diagnosis may not be needed, but then you and I both know, you know, 
reporting to payers, that's one way to show that significant difference. But the other thing is now we've got the OIG work plan, we've got CMS and Medicare, even though they, they may allow it sometimes, remember there's still some pre and post work on a, on a um, minor procedure that you cannot charge an additional fee for in an ENM visit um, to basically have a patient that's already planned or scheduled to come in for some kind of a procedure. I see this in urology quite a bit. I see this in um, orthopedic where they're coming in for an injection or they're coming in for cystostomy, cystoscopy, sorry, or they're coming in for a specific um, minor procedure. And then I see an office visit slapped on with a 25 and I'm like, what was that for? It wasn't separate. So here are the couple of scenarios, and this came in the published guidance, and it says, when is it appropriate to report the 25 modifier? So they say there are two scenarios where modifier 25 is typically used. That doesn't necessarily mean it's typically paid, but this is where they say it's used. Number one would be a preventative medicine ENM service provided with a problem-oriented, or like I mentioned, sick appointment, office or other outpatient ENM service. They have, for example, a two-year-old is seen for their well-child visit and the physician finds otitis media during the physical exam. So for those of you that don't do primary care, that means they have an ear infection. When a significant problem is encountered performing a preventative medicine service, requiring additional work to perform the key components of the ENM service, which again is problem pertinent history and exam, and then medical decision making to determine what that workup should look like and the risk and of morbidity and mortality on that patient. Then they say that you can also report the ENM service and that's the service that gets the 25 modifier. Now, here's the issue with that one, with that scenario. Just because your physician finds it, you still have to have documentation that they addressed it. So what if they put slight otitis media, so they find a slight maybe reddening of the inner ear, but they don't do anything. They don't order an antibiotic, they don't do another um, exam explaining the severity or non-severity of it, or if it's moderate, and or they don't order a lab, they don't do anything, they don't do a procedure, there's nothing that they're doing to treat it or significant enough for the abnormality to work the patient up, you can't code it. So just because you find it, you still have to do something about it. And it's above and beyond what you would do for under just a regular preventative service. Now, where it gets tricky are patients that have chronic conditions that are stable. You know, patients like to talk about, oh, you know, I have diabetes. No, I'm doing good. I'm on my meds. You know, I'm doing good. Um, oh, if you can throw in an extra refill, that'd be great. That's not considered a separate identifiable service. So, you know, patients are come in with, especially older patients, can come in with some stable conditions. And just because they're mentioned doesn't mean you're doing another workup because it's not necessary. It's not medically necessary today. They come in another time or have a scheduled appointment for their chronic conditions that you are managing or dealing with or, um, you know, under surveillance for. But this is just a risk factor reduction, making sure that everything's okay. You know, the comprehensive history head to toe. This isn't to carve it out unless, let's say, they're coming in and one of those chronic conditions had a flare-up where today, oh my goodness, you know, we had, you know, their hypertension was definitely elevated you know they had a, a elevated blood pressure it was that was not normal for them you know they've been on medication it's been fine and today it was terrible and now your physician has to maybe adjust medication or they they want to do something to make sure that this was not an you know an episodic problem so this is where you have to be i would say conservative is probably the good word 
and not overutilizing that 25 modifier or the possibility that there could be um, two encounters. And I see that way too many times. The other thing is when a patient comes in or is scheduled, and this is number two on, on this published guidance, for a minor surgical procedure, okay, and that's, pro that's you know, provided, it says, with a problem-oriented visit. If you are scheduled, then any kind of, and they call it pre-op or post-op, so basically telling the patient, you know, um, glad you're here. How are you doing? Did you do what I say? You know, didn't eat anything today. Or if it's a minor procedure, that's not the issue. Um, but they basically are scheduled for this. Then that would be a problem for you to also charge the surgical procedure and also charge the ENM. But let's say the patient's coming in because they slip and fell and they um, hit their head on the ground and they're having some dizzy problems and dizziness issues and they come into the office and the doctor also notices that there's a laceration on the head. Okay, well, that's different. Now the, now the physician performs that neuro examination, figuring out if there's a loss of consciousness, figuring out if there's a concussion, and also now is going to prepare, repair the laceration. Would that merit a separate E&M service and a 25 modifier? Yes, because one doesn't necessarily have to do with the other. It has to do with the same um, incident of injury, but it doesn't have to do with the same uh, E&M service. One is you're repairing an external problem and then a laceration, and the other one is internal. You're trying to figure out if you need to maybe send them over for an MRI and, and so on. So that's one. Let's say that the patient is scheduled to come in for, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm kind of um, picking on urology a little bit, but I see this a lot in my audits, for a cystoscopy. So they're basically coming in just to take a look in the, the ureter area and that's planned. Well, just because you talk to the patient doesn't make that a level two or level three. It's not significant above and beyond. Um, it, it, you have a certain amount of pre-op evaluation explaining the, the minor procedure, the risk and benefits, obtaining consent, you know, talking to the patient prior to procedure. Let's say you are in an orthopedic office and they're getting a series of symphysis injections to their knee. They're coming in for their second one and they're seeing even the PA Oh, and basically they're like, you know, um, how's it going? Did the first one help? And they have, they have a conversation about this and it's all about the knee. There is no extra visit. So be very careful with that because I also see some people saying, well, they have a chronic condition on there. So because I listed it, I also get another ENM. No, if you, unless you're treating that condition or it's separate from the minor procedure and something happened where there's an abnormality where again, look at the modifier. It's, it basically says it has to be significant and separately identifiable. So when I see level twos trying to be billed with injections, I'm like, where's the significance in a minimal visit? So you also have to look at the definition. So these are not the only scenarios where the 25 can be appropriately reported, but since CPT definition um, of significant separately identifiable relies on satisfying the relevant criteria for determining the correct level of ENM service, you have to ask some of these questions. And also remember, before you get anything paid, Medicare asks the question, was it medically necessary? That's their biggest criteria. So first, did the physician perform and document the level of medical decision-making or time, but again, something different than what the minor procedure was, necessary to report the problem-oriented visit? So, um, and it says for the complaint or problem. So the problem, and you have to address it. That's the first element of an E&M service. 
And then it says, could the work to address the complainer problem stand alone as a reportable service? So let's just say you didn't have the minor procedure, you didn't have the preventative service. Could that be a standalone visit? And that's what you have to ask yourself. And then the third one is, did the physician perform extra work that went above and beyond a typical pre or post-op work associated with a minor procedure? So if anything says yes, then you may be consistent with the CPT guidelines. Doesn't mean that Medicare will always pay it, but at least now you have an argument or support for it. So Medicare, payer interpretations of 25, requires that that only be used on claims and only when the E&M service is provided by the same physician on the same date as another procedure or service. And they say their language on this says under certain circumstances, Medicare will allow the use of 25 modifier when the E&M service is reported with a global service. And they mean the 10-day global or zero global. Everything has a global, 0, 10, or 90. So, you know, it says global procedures include visits and other physician services provided on the same date of service. So they want to make sure that you're not overcoding these services because, again, in their um, in the Medicare manual section, and I think it's 30.6.10, they talk about that there is an pre-service, intra-service, and post-service work inherent to minor procedures. And the physician cannot report an ENM for this work in most circumstances. So when the minor when the minor surgical procedure is the primary reason they're coming in. So private payers now, they're, they vary in their interpretation of the modifier 25 and could enforce certain policies such as flagging claims for prepayment, um, a validation prior to payment, requiring submission of documentation of the claim. That's unfortunate, but I know some payers do that. Um, there could be an automatic reduction in payment. So sometimes I'm seeing that with the preventative service and the uh, office visit, some payers are saying there's an overlap there, so we're only going to give you 50% of the office visit, or they reject it altogether. And then applying the deductible for one of the services or requiring the patient to come back for another date to receive an additional service. I saw that on a big commercial uh, plan recently. And then carving out the payment for the problem-oriented visit from the payment of the preventative service, which can result in a total charge that does not exceed that of the comprehensive preventative examination alone. So there are definitely some challenges to what the, you know, what the 25 modifier does because it's not consistent with all payers. Private payers have their own policies that can be enforced. Medicare has their own, you know, um, language and policy that they stand by. And then when I say CPT AMA, remember the CPT book is for our learning. It's for our reference. It's not payer policy. And so the payers look at that and say, okay, this is, we agree with the code. We agree with your description to a point, but now we're going to use that and use our own application of the modifier because of what we've seen when we data mine, when we look of, you know, look at traditional claims and what, you know, people are trying to submit um, it's consistently when it may or may not be uh, appropriate. So this is where you, you just have to um, be reminded that payers, some payers determining RVUs through the RUC, which is how Medicare determines, ensures that potential overlap is eliminated. So from physician work, practice expense, and professional liability insurance that are frequently provided together. And that's why, you know, this is from a March 20, 
23 CPT assistant article on the modifier 25 and they just kind of updated the information. So always take a look at published guidance and make sure that you're understanding where they're coming from with a lot of this information. The CodeCast podcast is also brought to you today by MedLearn Media. Make sure you check out the Peripheral Cardiology Coder. Now that is a book that I actually help author. It'll be available for 2024 and November 1st. So again, MedLearn Media. Okay, so I have a coding question today. I know that was a kind of a a long spiel on the 25 modifier, but a coding question comes in about the transitional care management codes, so TCM codes, 99495 and 99496. Somebody says, well, you know, we're making a ton of money on this because we are also billing the E&M service 99215 or 4, within the seven or 14 days of the patient's discharge. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's inclusive of those codes. So you can't bill it in addition to those codes. It even says it in the CPT book that an additional uh, E&M service is not separately reported. It's required under those codes. So for the person that sent that, I took a look at it and they had to refund all of those uh, E&M services because they were bundled into um, the TCM. So make sure you're reading the the guidelines word for word in your CPT book before you go off and start billing for services that are new to your practice, because that can definitely be an issue. Okay, so personal tidbit, guess what? My Steelers are two and one. And by the time you're listening to this, I hope that they are three and one for this weekend as we um, play the Texans. And I'm very excited about that. So it's been a good football season for me. And if you haven't checked it out yet, listen to my What the Football WTF podcast by Steel City Underground. Hopefully you enjoy that. It's weekly and it usually drops on Tuesday or Wednesdays. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening this week and make it a great week. Make it a great day. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>